Okay, welcome to Monster Manual Mash. This is a podcast where myself and this Wes over here talk about Hello. monsters. There he is. Hi. Yeah. We talk about monsters from the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons Monster Manual, going entry by entry, and we talk about what is going on with these monsters. Why uh, we, we kind of critique what they are written as in the book. We talk about where they come from in folklore or uh, why th- where they come from in the human imagination, what they kind of do to us mentally when we think about them and the way they are written. Um, we kind of assume that they are being pitched to us by Wizards of the Coast as toys that you want to play with. So we look at it from there. We think about where you might want to put a monster based on the way it's written. And we think of new ways to use monsters that might be more fun or just might slow things down and be uh, a mental exercise that you don't want to inflict on others. That's often a thing that we do. Um, Today is a big day. Um, Officially, we are landing on page... Um, 83, which is the Dracolich. Yeah. Which I thought is, that's not what's going to happen. That's because that's weak. It's weak. We can't talk about a Dracolich without having talked about a Lich or a Dragon. Because it's just two things combined. We're not going to do it. Because then we're we're just spoiling two other perfectly good entries. Yeah, then we're we're, kind of ruining everything. Yeah. And then the next one on the next page is Shadow Dragon, which is like, why? So then the next page, dragons. Let's, go, let's yeah. do that first before we talk about these other things. Because it's part of my, one of my biggest gripes while doing this whole show is that there are too many things. There are too many uh, variations, too many like uh, versions of each monster yeah. just to get like cover every base, everything you might ever want to use. Um, but what is the heart of these things? And this is the heart of the game itself. Dragons. It's half, it's uh, two fifths of the, the title of the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one of the major things promised in the whole concept of Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, yeah. I've been, part of the reason it's taken so long to do this episode is that I've been afraid of this day because this is such a huge entry and I wanted to do it right, but the topic of dragons is enormous and I can't possibly, uh, with my meager resources and time, I can't cover this whole topic and I don't want to do like a four part series to make Mm -hmm. sure we like, cause there's, there's 10 normal dragons. There's 10 of them. Never mind a shadow dragon, which is just like, like for special people who aren't satisfied with one of the other 10. (laughs) Yeah. The Dracolich, which is a template you add on, which there like aren't any uh, like templates was a 3.5 idea where you got to like modify existing monsters by putting this like kind of, you put this filter on them that changes their various uh, math and gives them power yeah. that takes away other things that's done away with in fifth edition, except for the Dracolich, which I guess is by like, we just couldn't do without that for whatever reason, just to complicate things. Yeah. 
yeah the whole topic of dragons it's like it's 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 so big it's so old it's it's like there's so much going on with it there's like it's it's in like it's really kind of fitting like on theme of like the like of dragons themselves that like this the topic of discussing dragons is like this thing that is way bigger than anything else that is like, yeah has way more writing around it history around it people think about it a lot more it's it's just like a bigger thing to tackle than the other monsters which is very fitting absolutely yeah and that's the reason there are like 10 of them originally and then just complete dragon bloat Um, yeah even going into fifth edition which was the promised uh the promised land for simplicity and streamlining the older ideas and uh but we still have we still managed to get uh like 11.5 dragons (laughs) out of it maybe more if we read on but uh so what we're going to do is rather than go into each color of dragon, because each one is sort of their own distinct entry, we're gonna just going to uh, go over some points. And then we'll, through these points, these, these point form ideas, we're going to get at the, whole, the, the entirety of what makes a dragon. And hopefully it'll all make sense in one big rolled up ball. Yeah. So yeah. when we get into the entry for dragons... Um, true dragons are ringed uh, I messed it up already see this is how difficult it is to start can't even say the first line true dragons are winged reptiles of ancient lineage and fearsome power so that overall big lizards and in fact the the etymology of the, the word let me see it here uh, it comes from an old French word, dragon, dragon, which itself comes from Latin draconum, meaning huge serpent. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Or there's another Greek version, which I don't know how to pronounce, that means uh, serpent or giant sea fish and was not reserved for mythological creatures. Same with the Latin. So, it just it literally meant a big serpent. Big serpent, yeah. 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 Or a big sea fish. So you could or look at a whale fish. in ancient Greece and be like, yeah. that is a dragon. Yeah, there'd be monsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of things were dragons back in, back then. Yeah. So uh, the, the entry for dragon goes on to explain how other creatures also have draconic blood. Wyverns, dragon turtles... So again, more dragons. There's a species of playable dragon people called dragonborn because dragon dragons. Um, and then it lists the various uh, the colors: black, blue, green, red, white, and the metallic ones: brass, bronze, copper, gold, and silver. Although their goals and ideals vary tremendously, all true dragons covet wealth, hoarding mounds of coins and gathering gems jewels and magic items and then they pass through four distinct stages of development from wormling to ancient which changes their size and stats so that you have the opportunity to make your players fight dragons at any level if you want them to fight a baby dragon so this makes to me dragons um not very special. 
because there's so many of them and you can encounter them in various stages of life, which means that they're part of like a pretty robust ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things you can encounter them in like so many different stages and so many different circumstances. And there's so many things that do not all of the same things as dragons, but most of the same things as dragons, you know, Mm -hmm. that are like less famous than dragons and more like, well, we'll put a spin on it and give you a wyvern instead. There's just so many weird things that it's like, there are so many ways to like have the experience of like, oh, we need to fight a dragon that aren't like the The actual dragon, (laughs) the actual dragon, like the actual, we got to face down like an ancient red dragon sort of thing. Like there's so many ways of getting at that without having to go that far that it's it's kind of like i think of it i would call this the uh the uh the pearl jam effect where there are so many imitators that uh <laughs> if you get used to the imitators first it makes the real thing seem less cool <laughs> wow <laughs> I never... some of the imitators are really bad yeah 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 i never uh likened pearl jam to a dragon before but i'm pretty sold on that um yeah it ruins pearl jam's uniqueness if you have too many imitators uh too many ways to get at the same thing it's almost like uh it's like participation medals it's like you get you get to have it all you know um i used to be a big proponent of like in my campaign there were there were only five dragons one for each of the chromatic colors um i've kind of loosened up on that because i think it's more fun to maybe make it unknown how many there are and like maybe they have an ecology, but you don't know it. I just think there are other ways because the way I I ran the game, uh, it was such a big lead up and I'm not sure the players cared (laughs) because also the the end fight was so uh, the math in fifth edition is it leans really in favor of the players, the higher in level they get. So my yeah. ancient white dragon, which I had souped up and customized to be even tougher, just died in like two rounds. <laughs> it had twice as many hit points as in the book. It had all these extra powers it could do. It just, it could not hold up. It just like, it all fell apart. Yeah. So I shouldn't have wasted all that buildup. And it was kind of like a bit of a weird letdown. So maybe uh, there's, there's a middle ground somewhere. It's nice to not know. Maybe, maybe you don't have to define it as much, but definitely having so many varieties and like having little baby dragons running around everywhere um, isn't my favorite way. But I think you can also go the other way and make it like, there's lots of like uh, dragon heavy tropes to embrace as well. Yeah, uh, I like... Yeah. It's you funny like? cuz well I was I was going to so there is a thing that um specifically they don't really do this with dragons in Eberron, right? In the setting Eberron where yeah. the, I I I would like it would be cool to treat dragons the way that they treat magic in that setting cuz the way that they treat magic in that setting is like okay, so we've got this science where we can just like we know that if you add like bat guano and like Whatever, it, whatever the material components are for a fireball. You just, people know that if you do the, say the right words and hold the right components together, you can produce the, this effect. Why wouldn't you industrialize that 
and like make things like airships and trains and like yeah. technology around the simple spells that everybody knows how to cast really rare magic is just as legendary as it would be in, in other stuff but like everyday magic is just technology because like how would that actually affect society if you just knew you could do this repeatable magic thing and so i like thinking about like okay what if dragons and then extrapolating from like what if you like so there were like intelligent giant monsters that can fly and are immortal why wouldn't they all be dictators yeah unless you know like i like thinking about like what would happen if like we applied some psychological realism to these incredibly fantastic things and that's a way you can treat dragons and have them be sort of everywhere in like common and not like super legendary if they're like no society is built around the fact that they're these unbelievably powerful beings <laughs> way smarter than us and way bigger you know yeah that's um that reminds me of shadow runner or shadow run yeah. where the major corporations of the world are, are run by dragons literal dragons yeah. yeah instead of uh elon musk who is a lizard person not a dragon um yeah because like you if you if you just like try to industrialize dragons or just have them around everywhere, they're not just going to be like friendly dogs or horses. They're not just going to like be beasts of burden without any downside. Like these fantasy Flintstones. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just going to be, they're just going to eat your garbage and call it a living. Yeah. Um, Especially these guys, the chromatic dragons. So this is the first entry here. Um, these are the main points you got to know about chromatic dragons. These are the dragons you most commonly see on the books and in the, all the art because they're the evil dragons. They are yeah. driven by greed. They're creatures of ego. So they're, they're greedy. So this is what makes them uh, acquire wealth and then hoard it. Yeah. Creatures of ego. So they're egotistical. They believe themselves to be the most powerful and worthy of all creatures. They believe in their innate uh, right to rule over others. Um, humanoids are animals fit to be prey or beasts of burden, unworthy of respect. They have dangerous lairs. So this is another trope of the whole, the whole dragon slaying fighting thing. They have places where they live that are, that are trapped intelligently. They attract monstrous creatures to live nearby and serve as extra layers of defense. Um, they even live in difficult to reach places like in the bottom of a swamp or high on a, on a volcanic mountain. And then we have Tiamat who is the, uh, the queen of evil dragons. She's a goddess. Um, she lives in hell, which I used to think was merely a typo from the original days that had, that had her living in this place. But I, if I think about it now, it's kind of interesting to think of it as like dragons are so invasive that the queen of dragons like pushed her way into hell and made her house there and no one can get rid of her. That's a good place for a dragon lair. Yeah. It's like the, the most badass dragon lair is just a plane of hell. So yeah. 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 And now like the, the Lords of hell can't even get her out of there <laughs> because they have a dragon problem too, just like the rest of us. So I yeah. think that's kind of cool. She's got five heads. Uh, one for each color. So that's that's chromatic dragons. In a nutshell, we get into the individual colors. So you have the black dragons. Um, 
they collect the treasures of fallen people, mostly. So uh, destroyed civilizations. Um, they love when their prey begs for mercy. They attack the weakest enemies first, and they accept death before subjugation. They hate other dragons. They hang out with lizard people and kobolds, centipedes, and swamp stuff. I, I do like, it mentions somewhere, if not in this one, but like in a different thing, that they like to pickle their food by letting it rot in the swamp first. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. There's like a, a dragon pantry, which is just like a, like a like a, a mass grave in a swamp somewhere. Yeah, I think um, it helps it helps me to think of these dragons as like give them the give them a theme, and then yeah. all other things can come from that. So black dragons, uh, because of their acid, they shoot acid. They live in a swamp. They're sort of about rot and entropy. So yeah. everything about them can be about that. Yeah, the, all their treasures are from like collapsed civilizations, and yeah, that's all on theme. Um, and then we got the the blue guys. I also I'm not going to talk about how much they, what they look like so much because a lot of ink is spilled on this topic, um, and you can just look at the pictures if you want. Uh, <laughs> blue dragons are vain and territorial. They live in deserts mostly. Um. They covet valuable and talented creatures as servants. So their main treasures are other people, which is an interesting take. Also gems. There's a whole entry on how they love gems. So do with that what you will. They, they raid caravans and herd animals by hiding in the sand and bursting out of that when they, when they come nearby. And then they shoot lightning. There's not really a desert power. I don't know how many, like, I guess the whole idea is that it's like they live in really arid, um, barren places, but they themselves yeah. are these brilliant blue storm dragons that shoot lightning. So right. it's like they bring in, they bring the, the, the low pressure system into a high pressure yeah. system or something. And also, like it says specifically that they're vain, right? So they want to stand out and look right. really fucking cool in like their when they want to be seen, they want to like make an entrance and like, I'm waving my arms around right now as if they're dragon wings. You can't see if you're listening because <laughs> it's a podcast. Um, but that's also like one way, like lightning and being blue are like not desert things. That's like, whoa, that's a, that's a, that's a statement if you're going to do that. So that's where yeah, I, I think blue dragons are coming from. I never thought of it that way. I always thought yeah. of it. It was kind of, um, odd because everyone else lives somewhere that makes sense for their color and then blues are just like yeah. ah deserts but no that's true so i guess they would be vanity most of all yeah everything they do has to do with their own sense of self they're leos <laughs> um then we got greens who are cunning and treacherous they love misdirection and trickery they are good at lying and double talk and they favor intimidation and backhanded um democracy they stalk and plan and they like to interrogate survivors of attacks to get uh, more information. And then in their own territory, they use illusions and they permeate the, the area with fear and they enslave everyone nearby and they shoot a cloud of tox of uh, poisonous gas from their mouth. So these are more uh, like, 
cruel, interpersonal, social dragons. Yeah. Who are less likely to just uh, attack you for food. They're more likely to like yeah. approach you and talk to you and try to get something out of you. They seem like the kind of dragons that would start a cult to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It mentions that like, they corrupt. They live in forests and they yeah. corrupt people that live there or not like mind control, but they just corrupt through manipulation and like over time breaking people down to do what they want. Running protection rackets and blackmailing <laughs> everybody. Yeah. yeah. I like to think of them as like these kind of like opium dragons that are like, they have a really cool forest party and everyone's having a good time and laughing. There's lots of, mm-hmm. lots of alcohol. People are having a great time. But then you end up like saying yes to things that you didn't mean because you're having such a good time and everything's getting kind of hazy. And then next thing you know, like you're wearing a potato sack and you've promised like your inheritance to the dragon and you have to go leave to go get it from your, your dad, the king. And you just have no idea how things got this far. You just went to a cool party. Yeah. Yeah. Cold open to, you might be wondering how I got here. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. 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 They're more civilized. So I guess Mm -hmm. they're like cruelty and treachery. Uh, and you got the Reds. The Reds are the, it even says right in the text that they are the archetypical, archetypical evil dragons. Um, they are covetous. They're, it says they're exceptionally vain, which kind of steps on the blue dragon territory. So I don't know why. It's funny because they do these things. They point out in each one, like how each one has a different personality and each one has different treasures, which is kind of an interesting thing to help you like flesh out what is in a dragon's hoard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they do, then they accidentally just drop a exceptionally vain, even though they've already written it for something else. Yeah. So it seems uh, like I would just ignore that and make them covetous, make them totally covetous. They love mountains. They are tyrants. They're territorial and isolationist. They compete against other red dragons constantly. Um, they demand knowledge of other red dragons uh in their area to help better fight them they're obsessive collectors they know the value this is cool uh, they know the value and provenance of every item in its hoard and they can tell you the dollar value of any item that they that you want to show them which is like i think it's a great dragon trait to have Mm -hmm. i also think it's really funny how they know the dollar value like like an economy is independent of any human interaction yeah <laughs> like it's 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 like climate it's just like a, a, a it's you know it's this thing that's always there and they can just like okay yeah well it's uh that's a 45 dollar yeah like the dollar picture. value of something exists prior to any like any person to value it mm-hmm it just or has an intrinsic dollar value <laughs> yeah an intrinsic dollar value or they are like constantly just like keeping an eye on the economy and like the currencies used by the surrounding kingdoms and yeah. are just like watching the watching everything all the, they're just like a you know just obsessed with like business news 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is great because they're dragons. Like they're not yeah. even humanoids. They're not even humanoids, but like you bet a red dragon would be really obsessed with like, you know, the Forbes lists of whoever has the most money in the universe. Yeah. So like, did they, did, did dragons like evolve uh, to incorporate this? Like, were they not like this before humans invented economies? Or did it just like, like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it re- really, like, it, I, you could answer this question in your setting, whatever setting you want to do for a D&D. Like, you, you yeah. could be like, yeah, dragons didn't actually think about, like, things having symbolic value and, like, using a thing as currency for other stuff until humanoids did it. But then dragons ran with it, you know? Yeah, like, they were, yeah. <laughs> like... Like dragons didn't really never had hordes or anything before there was a dollar value for things. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe there was there like a small I don't know a small economy that humans discovered. Mm-hmm. Like was the economy there before humans? Yeah. Too big for me. Did dragons invent it, and then they just they they influenced everybody else to adopt it, so that they would people would make commodities that they could hoard. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good idea. They took humans from the Garden of Eden and made, give the, gave them things they didn't oh my God. think yes. they wanted before, but now they can't do without. You could have all kinds of like dragon-based conspiracy theories in your fantasy setting. Yeah. You know? So we don't, like, they're just like capitalists, right? Like they get you hooked yeah. on capitalism. We could live differently, but these dragons just love dollar values. Yeah. Without dollar values on items, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. What? But if I don't have the high score, then what's even the meaning? <laughs> yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the whole like dragons having hordes thing is like there is no way not to use that. Well, there is a way to, but like it, you're you're missing a lot of opportunities if you don't use that for, as an opportunity for some playing around with some kind of statements about uh, economics and and politics and ideology. You know, there's just so much to work with there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And you can, the nice thing about it is you can deal with it as much or as little as you want. Yeah, totally. You can just make it a straight up dragon slaying story or dragon circumventing story, or you can make it, you can go so far as to like, um, I've heard of games where after they bring back a dragon's horde, the rest of the, the game is like dealing with this insane influx of wealth into this like one territory when the adventurers come back with the dragon horde and it just like ruins the the whole society yeah. and then you have to like protect it against other people and mercenaries trying to get it and the peasants are revolting because they want a slice of it they don't want it to just go into the coffers of the already rich yeah um it's a it's a whole thing um, I uh yeah I I ran a game a while ago and the opening quest was they there was kobolds that were enslaved by wizards in a mine and so the players went into the mine to like start an uprising of the kobolds and they were able to start the uprising because they hatched a dragon egg and kobolds love dragons mm-hmm. and so the the kobolds were like oh we got a dragon egg now and that was it that was the impetus for them to do a whole thing um uh but the way that the dragon I I had to like they were. The kobolds and the dragon had to be the sympathetic ones in the story in this one. So I, I, I had it so that the larger uh, horde the dragon was perched upon, it just like took that 
like the mental energy of the amount of value people believe that stuff to have and then just like made that directly beneficially affect the natural world around the dragon. So a dragon (laughs) was protecting the mountains by sitting on such a big pile of gold. It was turning the mental energy of all that value into like the plants growing more and like stuff coming back. So it was a natural part of an equilibrium is that no, you know, you give, all this stuff to dragons because they convert that value into like life directly That's through true. like weird dragon magic. And that was like, this is why can't we just like take the dragon's hoard and like spend it on a million things. That's why you can't take the money of, from the dragon you, you rescued at level two was cause that's, that's yeah. amazing. Thank you. That is such a good idea. Cause that throws that, that spins the whole idea on its head. Yeah. Cause being a dragon horde, you're just paying your taxes directly to nature is what that is. It is beneficial. Like, what if the whole yeah. world was actually by itself completely barren? Yeah. To the fact that dragons who have dollar values worth of treasure are able to convert those dollar values into like units of verdancy. Yeah, that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> so then you still, uh, so <laughs> again, to, to talk about the like economy thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah there is an intrinsic dollar value to every object (laughs) and it is measured in as many like points of verdancy that it can be converted Mm -hmm. to, but like you can, (laughs) but it's all subjective. So like if, if a, if a herder, uh, if a sheep herder has like loses all their sheep and only has one left, then they have to like charge a really high price to sell that sheep. And then the price of that sheep, I don't know if that's how that works, but I just mean like if something is, is artificially made to be more valuable, it is actually more valuable in terms of like what it can do. Yeah. I think it's way better if you, if you do it that way, like that, that's, that's, <laughs> I like it that way, but you know, like it just, it's, it's the power of belief. It's that, still, like, it's, it's still total yeah. market, uh, mm-hmm. market value. Yeah. And then you have uh, adventurers who still try to take dragon's treasure for themselves because because if things still have dollar value they can still sell it and get things they want yeah. but it is like they are doing a serious harm to the to the world and environment so like yeah they're definitely it's a tragedy outlaws. of the commons if you keep raiding the dragon horde yeah yeah it's a really i love that i love that idea I also love that it like paints the kobolds that go around like raiding everybody to like rob their shit and give it to their dragon in like a way more favorable yeah. way, <laughs> way harder yeah. to argue against yeah it's like yeah no i'm firmly pro cobalt rating party now but it puts you in this a really podcast takes a firmly pro cobalt <laughs> rating party stance absolutely <laughs> um I, for, I forgot what i was gonna say i'm gonna keep going uh white dragon last of the chromatics um they are the least intelligent they are animalistic primal and vengeful they avoid all others. They're lone masters. They keep their treasures under ice. Um, they're also the least powerful of the dragons. So sometimes um, they, they wage war against the frost giants who are the other big wigs in their areas. And then sometimes captured dragons serve as uh, serve frost giant masters as long as they get to have their own dominion over other creatures. But also frost giant bones litter white dragon caves so there's a little bit of infighting for your your area politics if you want to use that 
So these guys are just animals. These guys are like the harshness of winter, of being hungry, uh, being alone and cold in in a game gamesies gamesies thronesies types of type of place. So that's the metal. Those are the the chromatics. Um, there's a whole lot of information about um, what they can do, but they all basically shoot stuff out of their mouths and they cause fear. That's something that they all do, um, which is great because that's something that turns up in a lot of stories is that dragons, the simple pre- the, the mere presence of a dragon causes fear mm-hmm. and that's reflected in the game. Uh, Western dragons, uh, European dragons also shoot fire and poison in a lot of stories. Yeah, so that's reflected here. Um, metallic dragons are good aligned dragons. They hoard and collect treasure out of a noble curiosity, not greed. <laughs> it's very clear. They collect unclaimed relics, which sounds like some colonialist bullshit. To yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things they do is they store dangerous artifacts to keep it out of. Uh, harm's way from people getting at them which i would buy that they also maintain museums which again depends on your definition of unclaimed relic yeah Um, (laughs) they must be i like to think of i like to maybe think of it as more like art museums and maybe they've like paid to have these items or something you know you can do it you can do it well yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah there's definitely ways to do it It, like it's, it's not just like yeah these are all these uh you know, ceremonial masks that we just took. And yeah, I do. I do love the idea of like a good, a good dragon being like showing off his museum of like ancient relics belonging to other civilizations, and then being just kind of this like the players have this conversation with him that it's like it's not okay to do this. <laughs> He's like, but why? You have to explain yeah. like colonialism mm-hmm. to a dragon. Who is like receptive, but just not getting it because mm. there are different species who just does this compulsively. Yeah, it's like built into the, like their <laughs> essence yeah. as like a thing. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not merely like a, a lack of judgment or critical thinking or or uh, culture bias. It's just like it's yeah. literally of uh, it's it's in their blood. Yeah. Um, what else? They're shapeshifters. They can turn into people. Um, which makes them more friendly, I guess. They're more approachable. Uh, makes them more of like a character that could plausibly show up somewhere without ruining everything. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of uh, wandering gods in in religions of the world. Um, we got like Zeus walks around, not as a man, I don't think, but he takes on animal forms and gets yeah. around. Odin is a wanderer. Yeah. He's shown as a wanderer. Then you get your Gandalfs, um, your Raiden. Raiden is a thunder god from Mortal Kombat who uh, hangs out with the mortals. Um, yeah, and like in universe, in like D&D, I guess this is Forgotten Realm stuff, but like there's ba- Bahumat or whatever his name is, the, uh, yeah. the, the good dragon god. Yeah. Um, likes walking around as an old man surrounded by, I think it's 12 canaries, and the canaries are polymorphed gold dragons. And so just oh, wow. an old man walking around with a bunch of canaries and he's like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to give you some little advice here and there. And then 
later you find out that was the god of all the good dragons, the platinum dragon, who was just playing around with you because he's a weird old, weird old god. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a favorite archetype from, from myth and religion. Yeah. Wandering, the wandering god who gives you wisdom that you discount. But if you heed the wisdom of the crazy old man, uh, you benefit. Yeah. And that's, that's Bahamut. Yeah. Don't always heed old man crazy wisdom, but always consider it because it always might be a wandering <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> always consider. Yeah. Ask yourself when you're talking to anybody, is this potentially a wandering <laughs> God? And then just do a little bit strangers. of, yeah, just, just do a little bit of like game theory. What is, is it better for me to assume they are than they aren't sort of thing? And yeah, do a Pascal's wager. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it was, you can like there's even modern day uh, non-religious examples of like rich people pretending to be beggars or something. You know, well, Neil it's, Young it's would story. bust in disguise, right? <laughs> people wouldn't know that it was Neil Young somehow, even though his voice is pretty distinctive. But you know, yeah, yeah it's a thing. Yeah, so it, this makes them more likable, I guess. Oh, here's a weird thing about them. They have these really long but poor memories. So they can like, they, they can smell your bloodline and like know the history of your, your family. Mm-hmm. But they judge you based on your family tree. So if you're like a really bad person, but your, your parents and grandparents were like heroes, they'll think you're a hero. They'll treat you like a hero. Mm. and it takes them like a really long time to change their opinion about individuals. This is a really weird uh, trait that I couldn't find any backup for huh? in, in any like dragon stories. That's interesting. And this is all, all of yeah. them. All of the metal dragons do this, apparently, according to this thing. <laughs> so like, they might, they'll trust evil people because they come from a good family or they'll right. distrust good people because they came from a, a bad family. Yeah, I I could like I'm in my brain. I'm like already trying to like rationalize that, but like, well, is that like because they live so long, so that in their brain, like another being is like a lineage less than an individual because the lineage was around longer, like as long as them, so that's what they yeah. can relate to. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you could yeah. do with that exactly. It, you could. It makes for interesting role playing, possibly if you have like a good background for certain players that the mm-hmm. dragon wants, like remembers or something yeah um, also good reveal for like a character that doesn't know what their history might be sort of thing. yeah that's true yeah. you could also have the a problem of like an evil person has the backing of a good dragon that you have to yeah. like convince somehow to like not just let them get away with this nepotism or whatever you gotta go to the dragon, and the dragon's like, "No, no way! Archibald's great great grandson would would not betray his great great grandfather's good name." Yeah, it makes them kind of comical. Like they're good guys, yeah. but they're also sort of like they have faults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not just straight up good guys. And then the individual descriptions. Um, I've written even less about them because I've like rarely used good dragons because um, I find them less interesting. Although like you can. There are ways to use them for sure, but I just find it for the how many times I'm going to use a dragon in games, and you're, the best bang for your buck, I think, is using an evil dragon. Yeah. Um, but there, there are 
these are like subtypes once you get bored with the the regular dragons yeah like a good dragon is a good like oracle type thing like if the quest is we need to ask somebody a question who would know it it's the eight thousand year old gold dragon yeah you know yeah so the gold dragons um one of their interesting bits is they eat treasure (laughs) yeah so uh which is kind of neat instead of hoarding it they they still maintain hordes but they're more of like a larder and uh so it's kind of like it's interesting. It's a bit of like maybe a, a, a Buddhist like uh, rice mandala thing where they like they hoard all this treasure and then they destroy it. Like they, they, they create these works of they attract these works of art and then destroy them, maybe making this point about uh, yeah. insubstantiality or something. I don't know. Um, they are aloof and grim and wise but fair. So I, I totally see them as these kind of like wise knowledge holding sage types that you have to like travel to for wisdom, but they don't necessarily want you to. And then you have to stand outside their lair for like 20 yeah. days and nights proving yourself worthy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the, the answer they give you is like a bunch of, it's wrapped in a bunch of riddles and it's weird. Yeah. They, speak they, very archaically. they don't care about conveying themselves clearly. They just, they tell you the answer is good enough for them, should be good enough for you. Yeah. Um, they're like very above it all. Uh, brass dragons are talkative. They'll, they won't leave you alone. They'll not, if, if you refuse them, they'll knock you out. If you try to escape, they'll knock you out, tie you up, and then continue having a conversation with you. Yeah. Um, kind of a one-trick pony, but that's kind of funny. Yeah, and they, they like, uh, uh, they, their hordes are like, they like hoarding a bunch of stories and anecdotes, right? Like, is that there? Yeah, I yeah. I think it'd have a different one. Scrolls of history and stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, then you've got bronze dragons, which are sign of uh, your strongman dragon. They like to fight tyranny. They're kind of, they're martial dragons. Uh, they live on coasts, usually. Um they pay attention to the goings on of mankind and they like to insert themselves into wars and fight for whatever side they think is most just. Um, So I guess a game involving that would be like, you would have to go and convince a dragon that one side or another is more or less just. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you're an evil party, you have to fight one. I don't know get the dragon to join the international brigade and fight with the <laughs> fight with the resistance and some yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Then you've got your copper dragon, which are pranksters. <laughs> Goofy old pranksters. Uh, golds we talked about. And then silver dragons are the most friendly and social. They are the most virtuous. They love getting involved with humans. They spend most of their time sometimes actually disguised as humans, befriending people, and then they're known to actually befriend entire generations of a single family um, because they live so much longer. So I guess that's like a patron you could have in your game or like the reveal that someone in the game is a dragon. There's a bit of like wish fulfillment involved in, in the good dragons, I think. Yeah. Having like a dragon buddy or dad turns out to be a dragon. 
fall in love with the dragon. It could be like fighting dragons, but then like the one hot boy keeps showing up, but he's actually a silver dragon. Thinking of like Angel from Buffy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Not the exact same thing, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. You know what you mean. Yeah. Okay, so those are the 10 dragons. Um, I'm not even going to talk about shadow dragons. They're, I will for a second. They're, they're light dragons, but they're shadowy. And they have portals. That's about yeah. what I could glean. Um, so let's talk about um, real dragons in the real world. So a lot of people think a lot of the research people that write about this kind of thing have pointed to the idea that it's a confluence of a few things happening that has led uh, cultures all over the world to come up with dragons independently. Um, Part of it is fossils, people discovering strange giant dinosaur fossils. Um, especially in uh, parts of Asia where like very large intact fossils were found quite often because of the conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also possibly the inborn fear of snakes that people have. Yeah. A lot of uh, primates have, have shown, have displayed this as well. Um, also large cats and birds of prey. Like we've talked about a bunch of times on this show. Yeah. Bird snakes, ancient right. enemy of human. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, so combine these things, these like inborn fears and then finding these giant fossils that like, uh, how could you not, how could you not come up with these, yeah. these, the idea of a dragon. Um, but then there's a, there's a big distinct difference between, there's like two main depictions of dragons in the world and they, they are more or less split uh, east and west uh, kind of European and uh, Mesopotamian. And then east of there, you have a different interpretation. So the Western one is your classic D and D dragon for the most part, where it's like an evil treasure hoarding monster yeah. that is fought and uh, conquered um, but in the meantime, it's been like wreaking havoc on an area. And in the East, um, they're much more, sometimes they're destructive, but they're much more playful or even benevolent. Um, and they are often thought to be uh, like deities, like uh, the kind of minor deities who inhabit specific rivers or bridges or come with the rain or, or the sea. And they have a lot to do with, I think because of the conditions under which they're found as like these, these fossils, they became associated with um, the, the coming of rain and uh, mm-hmm. drought because they were found in like these, these watery, uh, like near rivers and where, where water was running off and exposing things. Yeah. Like where you find exposed fossils you don't have to dig for are around where they're like natural, like means of erosion to expose mm-hmm. them um so like riverbanks or like if you're in the desert where there's like wind blasted rocks that's 
Yeah, which are like droughts and floods would, you know, like the, yeah. those are that, those are the circumstances that would totally reveal more fossils. Yeah. So they yeah. they started to become worshipped as like um, maybe not worshipped, uh, celebrated at least mm-hmm. um, as like the people as was what brings the rain and makes the crops grow and brings prosperity and stuff. And if you had a drought, it was because there was a dragon who was either blocking the river or who wasn't doing their job. And you had to go like a hero had to go like not kill the dragon, but just convince the dragon to like do its job. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Like the, the source of conflict is like, someone's not, oh. <laughs> we pay this guy. Yeah. Yeah. We had an understanding. Yeah. We had a um, contract. So I'm going to talk about the two. There are so many dragon stories. Um, I've got three from the Western tradition that I think are important. The most important. Um, the first is Beowulf. Mm-hmm. This is one of the, this, one of the earliest um, instances of a dragon slayer story. So Beowulf was... A uh, hell of a guy who he was a geet um, and he traveled to I forget the other other people he went to, but this other guy this other king, this foreign king, this uh yeah. Scandinavian king uh Herat, or Hiorit, I forget how it's pronounced um has a Grendel problem, some Grendel keeps coming and killing everyone, and Beowulf and his buddies owe him nothing but show up to help anyways because being a hero is the right thing to do. And they kill Grendel, but then Grendel's mother comes and kills everyone back. So then Beowulf has to go track her down. And uh, it's this big whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then the third act of the Beowulf story has Beowulf. It's like 50 years later and Beowulf is a king back in Geatland. And... Uh, Meanwhile, nearby, there's a dragon that's been sleeping for generations. And he's on top of a hoard of vast sums of money that haven't been uh, seen in generations. But then a thief figures out how to get into the lair, goes in and steals a single cup. And that just sets the dragon off <laughs> on a murderous killing spree. And the dragon is destroying uh, Geet villages and Beowulf has to do something, so he rallies his thanes, and he goes to fight. But everyone runs except Beowulf and one other, one of his thanes named Wyglaf. Um, so then Beowulf and Wyglaf fight the dragon. Um, Beowulf is mortally wounded, but the dragon. But then Wyglaf slays the dragon, and then Beowulf uh, dies. And I, from what I remember, he dies being like show me that treasure basically he's just like i want to die with that wicked ass dragon treasure in my hand yeah so he gets the treasure but then dies and he's worried because the geats uh have been experiencing a time of peace because nobody would fuck with beowulf and he knew that when he died um they were going to be set upon by all their enemies thinking that it was um, their time of weakness um, so I think f- I read a little bit about it and I've, I've read Beowulf and I think it's kind of a story about um, this like great warrior king passing on the kingship rightfully to the new generation 
and not holding on to his position and then becoming bitter and tyrannical because um, when you're talking about these, these hoarding creatures um, it's off. It's about greed first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. um, and this treasure of the dragons belonged to like a kingdom in an age that was very old and, and forgotten, but had, it's like in the past. And I think that you could take that to mean just like locked up resources um, that aren't helping anyone. And as soon as someone tries to take some for themselves and away from you who doesn't even need them, you fly into a rage and start murdering everybody. And that's like, no one can stop you. So these dragons are these tyrants who just hold this kind of power over people and mm-hmm. flip out. And Beowulf would totally be in, maybe not in his right. Well, he would be in his right as a king to become that kind of person. Um, and no one has the courage to stand up to him except the one, the one guy. So Beowulf faces down this, this like enemy, this tyrant, which could be like, a representation of himself and both he and the dragon die which must happen because he's a man after all he can't live forever yeah but in so doing in by showing this courage he helped wyglyph slay the dragon and then there's a bit of like a hinting that wyglyph w- would be a worthy successor and be able to lead the geats um in the coming time of trouble so that's one interpretation um, of like one of the most classic dragon stories. Yeah, totally. I love that. That's a great poem. Uh, I have a really good version of it. If you ever want to read it, it's pretty, it, it lays it out pretty simplistically. Yeah. It's been it, a long it's, time since it's, it's a very rich story. Um, for what it just sounds like on the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. I always remember this. Uh, whenever somebody brings a Beowulf, we, I forget why we were like, we weren't like reading through it, but we were like reading a passage of it or something in grade nine English when I was in high school. <clears throat> and then uh, during the like now, then my English teacher was like, we're going to show you everybody the picture of Grendel. And then he had hidden a mirror inside of his copy of Beowulf to show everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what Grendel looks like and it was a mirror and he used that to make some kind of thing about how it was an allegory like how Grendel was some aspect of the you know he was it was a, like everything was going on inside of a person sort of that yeah kind of analysis but different than what you said <laughs> yes sorry that is a non sequitur that is not that is a that is a tangent that is a memory that I have how old were you uh was ninth grade so I would have been ninth grade 13, that's some pretty. 14, that's like the perfect yeah. time to be hit with that kind of like, a kind of gimmicky oh, lesson, yeah. you know? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It was good. He was a good English teacher. He was. I. I was getting bored with the regular stuff we were reading, and he was like, "Here, you should read this. You. You'll be able to get this one." So he and gave me Brave New World to read at like fourteen. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That's cool. Yeah, he was. He was a cool guy. He. Uh. Yeah. Anyways. I've got another dragon story. Nice. This is a, a Norse legend. So even though a lot of Beowulf takes place um, in Denmark, I think, uh, 
it's an Anglo-Saxon story. This is a Norse Norse story. Um, it's a complicated story, but I kind of boiled it down, so I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, it's like a big paragraph. But basically, uh, Loki pays three dwarven brothers money because he accidentally killed their dad. Uh, but Loki included in the payment uh, some cursed treasure he didn't want because it was cursed. It was going to bring him like death. And he just like had it on him. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll throw it in here. And that'll be like my payment to these guys. And then one of the brothers, Fafnir, uh, murders one of the other brothers to keep the gold for himself. And the third brother flees. And then Fafnir takes the treasure from Loki and he runs into the wilderness to hide and guard his treasure. And he becomes uh, a dragon by doing this. And he, he breathes poison and terrorizes and destroys the nearby land. Um, until the surviving brother hires a warrior named Sigurd to kill the dragon and regain the treasure. Um, he does, he fights Fafnir and wins, but in it, with his dying breath, Fafnir warns him about the cursed treasure. And then but Sigurd's reply is, um, all men must one day die anyway, and it is the dream of many men to be wealthy until that dying day. So he took the gold without fear. Huh. Which is great. Very yeah. great. Very Viking. Very, uh, the brother yeah. who hired him uh, plans to kill him on his return to avoid paying him, but Sigurd accidentally drank dragon blood during the fight, and he learned to speak with birds who were chatting with... <laughs> who were chatting... <laughs> goes a little off the rails here. Uh, who were chatting with Odin's ravens about the brother's plot. So he, he hears about it. He overhears yeah. it from the birds and he kills that guy too. And he walks away with pieces of the dragon heart that he's going to feed to his wife later. <laughs> Love it. Oh my God. I something about like retelling like these old myths in like plainer language. Yeah. Uh, just like puts in perspective how fucking bonkers these stories are and like surely how bonkers they sounded back then too like that was still an awesome that's still an awesome story it's like then he drank some dragon's blood and he didn't even realize it yeah i love it that's great let's yeah. talk to talk to animals yeah just the birds yeah. just the birds. birds great so yeah good. um yeah. So that that's a, a great dragon story that's an interesting one where he's breathing poison so that there's precedent in real world mythologies of dragons who don't just breathe fire, but breathe other stuff. Yeah. I, I also like that it's, it's, you know, it, an adventurer is hired by somebody. Yeah. It's not somebody who's like, I'm going to go do the right thing. It's like, no, I paid a mercenary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, some of the ways that like Norse myth is different from a lot of surviving uh, like medieval stories and stuff it's like there's not there's less this is still like all of our norse stories still come from uh like christian iceland mostly but uh yeah there's still elements of like a pre-christian mentality yeah. whereas even beowulf some argue is a little bit charged with um some christ mythology even though it's like it, i i find it hard to find but apparently it's there um there's also in Norse mythology, there's a dragon called Njogr, I think, or Nidhogg, uh, which means malice striker, 
who is a dragon who gnaws at the root of the world tree at all times. Oh yeah. Is a great uh, idea. It's a, he feasts on the dead. Um, and there's like a term, which is just the first part of his name need or need, um, which implies a loss of honor or a status as a villain. Which is a uh, a great like cosmological idea to have like your world is at all times being chewed on by this like crazy monster. Yeah, the very foundations of your reality. Yeah, that's great. Um, I feel like uh, the Norse were pretty close to the mark with that one. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely were the first yeah. to realize how close it all is to coming apart. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of other cultures have like this cyclical thing where it, it's a cycle of, of death and rebirth. But for the Norse, it was just simply one big death and there was not going to be anything after it. Yeah. Just a bit. Yeah. And, and the, it's great. That's great. I, I, I love, uh, what's his name? Ratatask, the squirrel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mythology that, yeah. The good trickster squirrel. Yeah. So I was reading, cool. I was reading this book. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I should called like laughing as I die, which is about how um, the Vikings were able to do what they did because of their uh, like weird religion mythology mm-hmm. of like, if you think you're already dead, you'll do some crazy stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you'll actually accomplish a lot more than if you like cherish your life. And like some of you will die, but those of you survive will like benefit immensely from the crazy shit you pull. One of the things, the next thing I have here uh, that recurs over and over in dragon mythology is uh, dragons or giant serpents sometimes or not in the water versus storm gods. This is a recurring thing um, all over the world, not just west or east. Um, storm gods, uh, especially in Mesopotamia, there's the idea of, um, I think it's Tiamat is originally a Mesopotamian god, not just the dragon god we think about, who... Uh, is driven away by these like gods from the sky. And there's this, this age old archetype of like earth mother, natural goddesses and spirits being driven out by uh, male thought based, um, rational minded commanding gods. Mm-hmm and like drive out all the monsters and the wickedness um not so much wickedness i guess like wickedness is a as a post christian idea yeah. but certainly like nature versus man is something that it comes up all the time um it's even thought about as like simply a storm bringing rain and making fields 
uh, bear crops and stuff is like just one more instance of storm gods getting one over on nature. Yeah. Cause it's like, <clears throat> so a lot of, I don't know, like I, I think a lot of like weather and nature and everything, you have a lot of like normal things that happen and every once in a while, all like you, you've got like just crazy shit that happens, you know, like a natural disaster or like a really big storm or something like that. And so yeah. it sort of makes sense associating those like spikes in activity with like an entity that has intentions. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. like a cycle. So it keeps happening Yeah, over and over and you can observe it. And then it's like um, the Egyptians even had this, this idea of, uh, they're like the sunboat of the gods. There was this serpent that would like swim around it and and try to like kill the gods on it, but they would spear it every time they crossed. Yeah. So, and the gods would like regularly come to Earth. And then uh, we get to the Eastern dragons. And these are, there's a lot of variety in the stories I found were a lot shorter. Um, they mostly have to do with, like I said, getting dragons to stop causing droughts or to get back to work to stop causing a drought. They're either actively causing a drought or through inaction causing a drought. <laughs> it had to be, had to be asked to do things. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really good, miniature stories in here uh oh yeah so there, there's one more uh, before i get into there's one more western story um about merlin there was a there's this welsh monk made up this story about merlin the child prophet merlin um there's he witnesses a uh, a, a warlord attempt to build a tower but the tower keeps being swallowed into the ground. Merlin informs the warlord that underneath the foundation is a pool with two dragons sleeping in it. So the warlord orders the pool to be drained, exposing a red dragon and a white dragon who immediately begin fighting. And then Merlin delivers a prophecy that the white dragon will triumph, symbolizing England's, uh, England's conquest of Wales, but declares that the red dragon will eventually return and defeat the white one. And this was this was in the 15th century, which is apparently an era where uh, the idea of dragons as like actually being living things that were around all the time was like popular among those who wrote. So monks mostly, but like, yeah, um, it wasn't like these one-off, highly mythological dragons. It was like, oh, we got two in this pool over here. Oh yeah, <clears throat> and like guides and beasteries were written yeah yeah this is you this know, is like, around yeah this is like practical knowledge that you may need someday yeah this is this yeah. is that for sure yeah um and it's also interesting that it's like uh we have white and red dragons who symbolize different things in this case it's like two nations um but i think it's kind of neat that it's like they're both at once supposed to be taken as like literal animals but they're also at the same time symbolizing these more uh kind of like headier ideas these like nationalist symbols so like yeah. dragons occupy the space of being both creature but also 
having a, a higher meaning of some sort, which is why they appear on like heraldry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Eastern dragons. Let's see here. There's a story um, from the a book of uh, Han Dynasty stories, which holds that a woman, a woman named Shai, who lived in a region around Mount Lao, became pregnant with ten sons after being touched by a tree trunk floating in the water. She gave birth to the sons, and the tree trunk turned into a dragon who asked to see his sons. The woman showed them to him, but all of them ran away except for the youngest, who the dragon licked on the back and named Ju Long, meaning sitting back. The sons later elected him king, and the descendants of the ten sons became the uh, Ayaloi people, who tattooed dragons on their backs in honor of their ancestor. So that's like a nice little... Yeah. Fun story about a dragon. Yeah. No one has to die. Um, yeah. They just, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's a different, um, it kind of reminds me of the Beowulf story, actually, in that there's like, Beowulf brings all his thanes, but they all run except one. And in this case, all the sons run away except one. And that's the one who's chosen to be like the, the ruler. So, like, encountering a dragon and not running away exposes you as, like, a hero, I guess, or, like, a, a worthy person. Right, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I'd buy that. Yeah. That'd be kind of funny to do in a D&D game because a dragon's fear effect is just all, like, dice-based. Yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah. What if that's the way, what if you had a society that truly did, like there were dragons and you picked your ruler by like, you just march up to it and it's like whoever can like play a game of chicken with like (laughs) going up to the dragon without running away. There's like, okay, yeah, no, they're in charge. Yeah. Maybe that's how like some goblins or orcs do it. <laughs> just pick a monster and see you can get the closest to it and whoever can yeah, get the closest so you can to like, it's in charge. You can like lick it. <laughs> <laughs> These like juvenile uh sports. Yeah. I also think it'd be cool thinking about that that Norse story about Fafnir. Uh like a person every dragon is actually a person who's just gone completely strange with greed. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a it's That's not being a dragon that makes you obsessed with treasure. It's being way too obsessed with treasure that it like mutates you into a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are some people, the Miao people of Southwest China have a story that a divine dragon created the first humans by breathing on monkeys that came to play in this cave. Oh, sweet. Uh, that's <laughs> a great theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Monkey breath. Yeah. Um, Kongjia, the 14th emperor of the Xia dynasty, was given a male and a female dragon as a reward for his obedience to the god of heaven. He could not train them, so he hired a dragon tamer named Liu Lei, who had learned how to train dragons. One day, the female dragon died unexpectedly, so Liu Lei secretly chopped her up, cooked her meat, and served it to the king, who loved it so much he demanded him... Uh, serve the same meal again 
since he had no means by which of doing this, he fled. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you do this? What do you gain by doing this? What do you gain? I is that and that's is there more to the story? Is that the story? Must, like he ran away? <laughs> there must be more to it, but that's what I have. I love that that just ending on like that beat of like and then he fled and it's yeah it's, it's it's great. Great. yeah yeah. I mean, there's got to be reasons, but just on yeah. the face, that's great. Oh, this is a good one, uh, Lord Yi Gao, who loved dragons obsessively, even though he had never seen one. <laughs> 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 it's a great character yeah this is like this really rich benevolent king who's like obsessed with dragons he's got dragon yeah. clothes dragon cereal but he's never seen one yeah and he you know pay that, handsomely for for stories of first-hand encounters i you know what i bet that was an influence on in uh dark souls 3 there is a boss you fight that is basically a guy he's a he was a king a prince i think who was obsessed with dragons like a completely obsessed with dragons um dragons were like most of the dragons were like killed in the backstory of the game and whatever but these people were obsessed with dragons and so they started a cult to try to turn into dragons and so he tried to turn himself into a dragon by like doing magical experiments and so totally like profane things to turn himself into a dragon yeah. and locked himself away um to be like a weird mutant dragon and then there's a whole there's a whole thing about there's like a whole like cult in that game of people that are like no no i want to be a dragon i'm trying to become a dragon and if i can't do it with magic i'm gonna do it with science i'm gonna be a dragon somehow and like that shows like the society and then because dark souls is like fantasy post-apocalyptic society collapsed because the king and all the nobles were obsessed with becoming dragons instead of the cult where you became a dragon because all the dragons were dead none of them had seen a dragon they just wanted there to be dragons and wanted yeah. to be dragons that there were. And uh, yeah, so I, it's, I, I, there's, I feel like there's a parallel there. Probably. Probably yeah. did the research. Yeah. Um, he, in this guy's story, uh, he decorated his whole house with dragon motifs and a real dragon saw this display of admiration and decided to visit him and, and like a friendly visit yeah, but uh, Lord Yegao was so terrified that he ran away. <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a great fable. Yeah, not as dark as Dark Souls, but that's uh, yeah. You, know, you can see how it comes out of that. Yeah, yeah. So another story about a guy who saw a dragon at a river that had um, seven dots on its face, six on its back, eight on its left flank, and nine on its right flank. He was so moved by this apparition that he went home and drew a picture of it including all the, the, the dots. Mm-hmm. And then those dots he later used to invent the Chinese uh, writing system. Oh. So that's, that's the story of the Chinese uh, characters. That's really cool. Neat. Um, Japanese dragons um, very much are kind of similar to Chinese dragons, but you can... When they're misbehaving, you can placate them by offering or sacrificing valuable metals to the sea. So that's neat. You could like yeah. quest for a, like a specific object only to like destroy it or like throw it into the sea. Yeah. To get a dragon to do its job or not. Yeah, I wonder what the dragon gets out of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but they're they're since they're like higher more spiritual creatures i think they'd be like 
they'd, they'd get, they'd get the good vibes, you know, yeah. by, by making a sacrifice. Yeah. They're like, yes, this is just a proper action. Yeah. They're, 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 they're the, the sense of like honor and tradition of like seeing somebody make a sacrifice is enough for them to do whatever they got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's all of the kind of research I wanted to hit. There's so much, there is, there are so many different stories. Um, I couldn't possibly talk about them all, but I thought it'd be good to get a few Western stories, a few Eastern stories. Um, and that's dragons in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it if you want to dig more into it, but ultimately that's, that's what they are. They're either, uh, like man's ultimate enemy, uh, tyrants who hoard wealth or like benevolent river creatures that bring the rain yeah you know what it seems like they are in a lot of these cases like when they're good and when they're evil like whatever is going on with dragons a lot of it seems to boil down to like what if you took just like the idea of like how a person can have a lot of power and made that manifest in a physical creature. And so that can be a tyrant that can be somebody who can be very benevolent. That can be somebody who has wisdom, but like, you know, all these things are forms of power in a way. And so what if you could just like look at a thing and just by look at like a big giant, like lizard snake monster thing, you know, or maybe it's beautiful and huge or like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. The idea have, of like uh, mm-hmm. of of a power difference, yeah. Between people, yeah, yeah. Like even the metal dragons that are like the talkative one. Like, if he's got something you want, you have to put up with his insane personality, and you have to talk to them. Totally, you still have to give them what they want, even when they're like nice. Yeah, and with dragons, it seems like it's all about a power dynamic in a way that I don't think is necessarily true with other monsters that are even similar you know yeah dragon you know it's it's it seems like that's what's going on with dragons not exclusive to everything else but that seems to be a common thread it is yeah it is kind of in the definition of a dragon as we think about it that they have a horde it's not just that they're it's not just that they are greedy creatures it's that they also have a wealth of material uh treasure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that kind of informs the whole encounter And you can spin it so many different ways. Like that getting the treasure is like liberating it for the people instead of keeping it in this, this one useless bank in the middle of nowhere, the bottom of a swamp. Or it's like stuff that doesn't belong to you either, where it's just like a good dragon's like museum of uh, like above board uh, items generously donated to his museum yeah um yeah that's dragons man i don't really want to get into dragon liches or or shadow dragons because the very next entry is a dragon turtle <laughs> so there's yeah. like uh we might we'll probably get into um eastern more eastern stories uh through that because i think that's mm-hmm. where it's coming from or we'll just talk about big turtles probably Oh, I'm going to come in with some turtle facts. Coming come in hot with, with some turtle, turtle facts. facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I think that's it. That's all I got to yeah. talk about. All right.
dragons. They're good for you. Firmly um, pro dragon. Yeah. Dance. I think we should give our stamp of approval at the end of every show or not. Yeah. Just endorse. This is the first one officially pro kobold, pro dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got to say. Yeah. All right. Join us next time for turtle, uh, turtle talk. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.